And uh, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. If you hear nothing else this morning, this is the most important thing. You are a child of God, holy and beloved. Nothing, nothing, nothing can take that identity from you. When we say this, we are saying that each and every person is a child of God. So our task is to honor the image of God in ourselves and each other. So say it with me. I'm a child of God, holy and beloved. Let's say it again. It's that important. I am a child of God, holy and beloved. I will make darkness light before them, and crooked things straight. about Moses and how he helped the Israelites escape from um, the Egyptians and they got stuck right they came up to a big area of water and the Egyptians were chasing after them with spears and the uh, Israelites had nowhere to go and Moses opened up or not Moses God opened up the water for the Israelites and they were able to escape and it got me thinking about how much 
how many times water is used in the Bible. I mean, so many times God uses it with baptisms, with um, the fishermen on the water, right? The big storms, the fish, uh, Jonah and the big fish, uh, the woman at the well. I mean, there's so many guys. If you guys can think of some other stories about water, tell your parents or write it in the comments because I'm sure there's a lot more that I'm forgetting. Um, so it, I wanted to read another story about water and it's called The Rhythm of the Rain. And it's a story about how water travels all over the world and really how it connects each living thing. And I think that uh, God really speaks to that in the Bible about how water connects us. Um, no matter if we dislike each other, like Jonah disliked the Ninevites or we want to get away from people like the Egyptians and the Israelites, uh, we're still all connected by water. And um, this is just a really, really pretty, pretty book that I wanted to share. So Isaac was playing in his favorite pool on the side of the mountain. He felt spots of rain on his cheek and looked up. The clouds above him were turning dark. We saw that this week with all the storms. He emptied the jar of water into the pool as the rain made little streams run out of it. When the rain stopped, Isaac raced down the streams down the mountainside. He followed them to the river that ran past his home and then plunged down a waterfall. Somewhere in all that tumbling is the water from my little jar, Isaac thought. As the river went on, it got deeper and wider. Creatures came out of the woods to drink and to wash, and fish leaped high out of the swelling water. On and on the river flowed, winding through the country. And winding through the city, and everywhere it went, people and creatures found a use for it. Eventually, it joined the great ocean. Where is the water from my jar now? Isaac wondered. The ocean is home to many creatures. A great whale opens its huge mouth to feed and swallow some of the water from Isaac's pool. Later, by the light of the moon, the whale rises and blows a great fountain into the starry night. The water falls like rain back into the sea. It flows with currents that run like rivers deep, deep down where the sun's light never shines. Then it rises to ride a storm all night long. In the calm morning, the sun turns the waves golden. The ocean steams in the heat and some of its water climbs a mist into the sky. The mist cools and gathers into a cloud that floats over a mountain in a country far, far away from Isaac's pool. The clouds release their gift of water. They fill the pool where a little girl is playing. Down the mountain, the river runs. Elephants and giraffes, flamingos and zebras celebrate the return of the rain. On and on, the water runs back to the sea where a giant squid surprised by a shark 
creates a cloud of ink, sucks in some seaweed, and jets away to safety. Once more the sun heats the ocean, and some of the seawater rises as steam into the sky where it forms into clouds, and then the rain falls on the land as it has done for millions of years. The thirst, then thirsty flowers draw the wandering water into themselves, waving like bright flags around the pool where Isaac plays. The water made its way all the way back. I like that story. It reminds me that even though we are pretty disconnected right now, I miss seeing your faces and being with you. And there's some, there's family and friends that we haven't seen in a long time that God has us connected. We're all a part of this world. Um, and God loves each one of us. So I hope that you have a really great West, West, a rest of your Sunday. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Also, I'm going to be sending you all an email, all your parents. And if you would like to do a candle lighting, um, for Advent, uh, please, uh, have them let me know. And, uh, we can definitely get you guys hooked up with that. Just like if you were in Bethany physically. So. Um, I will talk to you all next week. See you later. Bye. We're going to read the Holy Scripture this morning from the Old Testament. From Amos chapter 5, 18 to 24. These words may seem a bit dark at first, but be patient. Listen, for the words at the end are very familiar. These words at the end, the words of hope. The words now from Amos, from the Revised Standard Version. We're starting with 18. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord, why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or went into a house rested his hand against the wall, and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no darkness in it? I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look. Take me away from the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your hearts. But, but, let justice roll like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Amen. The scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter and the 14th through the 30, through verse 30. Uh, this this uh, parable falls within a series of parables about the kingdom of God. So listen now for the word of God as it comes to you. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. 
and then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent came, also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your, ta your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
thank you to Aaron and Brian for bringing this little song that Fred Rogers used to sing on his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was his invitation to his young viewers to put on their thinking caps and imagine all the things they can do while they wait for something else to begin. On one show, he uses the example of waiting for a plant to grow. He tells the children that he's been sitting by this plant, just watching it, waiting to see it change before his eyes. When nothing happened, he tells them that he began to realize that plants grow slowly, just like people do. And so he would have to think of some other things to do while the plant was doing its slow work of growing. I felt a little bit silly asking Aaron to sing this little ditty to open a sermon about two pretty difficult texts, the one text we just heard. But like a lot of Mr. Rogers' songs, this simple tune gives us a perfect way into a challenging topic. Both of our texts have the harsh feeling of judgment for behavior that most of us can really identify with, or at least have some sympathy for. In the Amos text, the prophet tells Israel that God has no desire to receive their worship or their prayers if justice and righteousness are not flowing out of the life of their nation. In the Matthew text, one slave decides to hide and protect what his master has given him to take care of instead of growing it. The other two slaves in the story take more risks with what the master gave them, and when he returned, they'd each doubled their allotment. The master praises the two who finished with a return on their investments, and he banishes the fearful one who didn't invest at all to outer darkness. In both of these texts, people who may think they're being faithful, doing the best they can, abiding by the rules and playing it safe, are called out for their inability to see and fully invest themselves in God's priorities. Jesus' parable about the servants who are given portions of their master's property to care for while he is away paints a picture of a harsh, impatient God with high standards. The parable asks the question, what will you do with what you've been entrusted with? The single-minded master in the parable expects that each of the slaves will have invested what he has given according to the master's priorities. He expects them to treat his money just as he would, investing aggressively with the expectation of growth. In both of our Bible study groups this week, we agreed that we would rather see a parable about the kingdom of God that portrayed God as a more patient teacher, offering this fearful servant a chance to learn from his mistakes. But that is not what we're given here. In this parable, the master's property 
what happens to the resources he's entrusted to his servants is of utmost importance to him. His priorities matter. Growth matters. Risk-taking is rewarded, and being paralyzed by fear has dire consequences. Caroline Lewis, a theologian and preacher who writes for a site called The Working Preacher, says that in this parable, Jesus is calling out our squandering of what we have been entrusted with. She says, lest we think that such trust is solely an affirmation of our individual contribution to the kingdom of heaven, the Sermon on the Mount should come to mind. That is, what you do with what you've been given is never ever for your benefit alone, but for the sake of the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's given to us so that we might embody the promise of Emmanuel, of God with us, by being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This parable reminds us that it is essential for Jesus, it is urgent that we know that God trusts us and that what we do with that trust matters. Professor Carla Works points out that Jesus tells this parable to his disciples as a way of teaching them how to endure, how to faithfully wait through hard times. What better text for us then as we near the end of 2020, a very hard time of waiting, that we all know is not likely to end with the calendar year. Jesus is asking us to wait faithfully, hopefully, even productively during this harrowing moment in our own history. We're asked to wait, and while we wait, to remember who we are, what we have been entrusted with, and the priorities of the Holy One who calls us beloved. The lyrics to Fred Rogers' song about waiting reminds me that each of us has something particular to do while we wait, some gift to develop, some resources to share, some work to sink ourselves into, relationships to develop or nourish, some healing, perhaps, to put at the top of our own priority list. When I was a hospice chaplain, I gradually learned that the time near the end of life can be a time of remarkable growth and healing. In fact, at some point, I realized that this time of waiting to die was so full of potential that I began to ask people what they wanted to do with their lives in the meantime. The responses were astonishing. One person decided to request a home visit from her son who was incarcerated, and she got it. Another man asked his wife to forgive him for years of unfaithfulness, and then he asked to be baptized. A young mother planned her own funeral and then invited her children's friends to help them with a special part of that service. And then she asked their mothers 
to look out for her family after she was gone. This was the work of healing, justice, compassion, and mercy rolling down like a mighty life-giving stream at the end of my patients' lives, and it was their gift to their loved ones. A few weeks back, I told you about the PCUSA program called the Matthew 25 Church. The purpose of the program is to help churches and presbyteries find their own ways of investing in the eradication of systemic racism and institutionalized poverty. I learned a week or so ago that the co-moderators of the General Assembly are sponsoring a book club this year to supplement that program. This month's book is called Decolonizing Wealth, Indigenous Wisdom to Heal Divides and Restore Balance. It's by Edgar Villanueva. And here at Bethany, the Christian Education Com Committee is making plans for a couple of opportunities to learn about how we can be part of ending racism in our communities here. Another Bible story note here. In one of our groups, we talked about how this kind of, this particular kind of kingdom growing work will require some risk on our part. Some living with fear, some living with uncertainty, and a lot of living with courage as we struggle to make the changes that will make it possible for everyone to flourish. We might feel like one-talent servants as we get started, but we need to find ways to act like two-talent or five-talent servants if we want justice and righteousness to flow from our lives. David Attenborough, Sir David Attenborough, and Greta Thunberg uh, are a 93-year-old man and a teenage girl who have each invested themselves in the work of climate justice. In his, net, his recent Netflix film, the, the most recent one, is, uh, called A Life on This Planet, Attenborough illustrates the changes in the natural world that have happened just during his lifetime. And then he talks about what can be done to heal the planet by learning from, cooperating with, and emulating nature itself. He said his conscience and his gratitude for his lifetime of work in nature compelled him to share his fears now, as well as what he's learned is possible so that we can get on with the work of helping the earth heal. It may be scary to imagine the changes we'll have to make as we invest in helping the planet cool down. But it's also scary to think of what might happen if we don't make that investment. As scary, perhaps, as being cast into outer darkness. Because we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' teachings about the Kingdom of Heaven over this last month or so, I know you've had some time to ponder this question, but I'll ask it again. What have you been entrusted with? In what way is your identity as a child of God needed right now in this particular difficult moment? 
And then also, like the one-talent servant, I wonder, is there something that might be holding you back? Fear, perhaps, grief, uncertainty about the long-term future? How do we live generously, courageously, and faithfully at a time when, in some ways, the safety net seems to have dropped away? If you feel a little bit like the one-talent servant, you are in good company, believe me. It also occurs to me, though, that part of the beauty of being in a community of faith, of being part of the body of Christ, is that when we are feeling like the one-talent servants, we have the encouragement of knowing that we're on this journey with two-talent and five-talent servants. At other times, we may be the ones with the five talents. We can help each other out as we aim to faithfully live into the trust that God has placed in us. The gospel word to us this week, I believe, is a tough call to us to remember who we are and who we belong to. We are children of the one who is still creating in and through us. What Jesus is saying is, Who you are matters. What you do matters. Remember that you are salt. You are light. It's not a question. It's a given. It's up to us, to each of us and all of us together, to find ways to let our lights shine, to be persistent in the creative work of letting rivers of justice, righteousness, mercy, and healing flow. As I thought about this sermon, I realized that one of the things I have been entrusted with is the sacred privilege of encouraging you to find ways to nourish your light, to grow your gifts, to sink your roots into the soil of divine love for the sake of your own soul as you engage in the life of the world. How you nourish your own sacred container, how you care for who you are, is an essential element in the work you do in the world. It matters. Prayer and other spiritual practices, staying in community, seeking beauty, poetry, scripture, music, solitude, simplicity, And time in the natural world will feed our souls and help us grow. Like Fred Rogers' plant, and like the kingdom of God's love, we know that the growth may be slow, but it will happen as we nourish ourselves and as we do the work we are called to do. I want to close with this poem by Donna Markova. And I'd like to invite you to let it not just be a poem, but a prayer, as you sit with this parable that Jesus has spoken into our time of waiting. It's called, I Will Not Die an Unlived Life. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, 
more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that that which came to me as seed goes to the next as blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. So may it be.
In addition to financial support, we need spiritual sustenance from one another. So we would invite you to now to comment um, in the comment section to share where you have seen God at work in your life this week and to share maybe a moment of how God is sustaining you. We pray with and for one another as well, for our joys and for our sorrows. And I'd invite you also to write any prayer requests you might have in the comments section during the song of prayer. What are your sorrows and fears this week? What's breaking your heart? And what's giving you life? Maybe what's bringing joy? We also pray for our global community, for all people everywhere who are suffering, who seek justice, who are working to heal our planet, our home, who bring hope to others, who remind us that we are not alone. So let's do share our griefs, our hopes, our connections, our commitment to peace and healing, as well as our gratitude at this time.
single-minded and persistent in your love for your creation. We thank you that the light of your love rests on each and all of us. In the silence, we thank you for our lives and for the many ways you have gifted us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Creating one, you who call us to be partners in your creating, we seek your spirit's wisdom in discerning our role in this life-giving work. Grant us wisdom, courage, and love, eyes to see, minds to understand, hearts to embrace the trust you have placed in us. In the silence, hear our prayers for wisdom and direction. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Healing one, 
We ask you to be with all who are sick and any who mourn. Be present, we pray, to all who are caregivers and to those of us who are separated for any reason from those we would love to help, to care for, to support. Grant us healing, peace, and the solace of your grace. And hear our silent prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Creator of all that is, we continue to pray for peace and healing in our nation and our world. We ask that wisdom, clarity, and service would be guideposts for our leaders and citizens in the days ahead. Be our guide as we walk together through these next days and weeks. May we, each in our own way, be makers of peace. And we ask that you hear our silent prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And finally, Hear us as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught his friends, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Bethany community is active and thriving, even if it does look a little different these days. First of all, as a member of the Stewardship Committee, I want to thank you personally for your generous response to the amazing stories and mission needs of Bethany. Pledges are indeed flowing in. In fact, we've had some increase in pledges. But it's not too late if you haven't sent yours in yet. You can still be a part of our Faith in Our Future campaign. It's not too late. And you can be a new pledge, too. So if you need a new pledge card, or your pledge card, please call Katie tomorrow, and she will send you a card with your stamped envelope, and you can mail it back to us. This next week is not too late. Do it tomorrow. And there are a lot of things going on at Bethany, and we invite you to check out our weekly online newsletter, the weekly update. You can see it on our Facebook page each week, or we can send it to you by signing up for our emailing list on our website, or again, by contacting Katie in the office, the church office, and she'll give you that contact number or email. Bible studies are being held via Zoom twice a week on Monday evenings at 7 o'clock in the evening and Tuesday mornings at 10.30. You don't want to miss those. If you would like to join either of these groups, please, again, email the church office and Katie will get you on the mailing list and send you the Zoom link. It is so easy. Last but not least, this is my favorite. We want to invite you to our Zoom coffee hour immediately following worship today. 
There is a link in the description of this video to get you to the coffee hour. We hope you will pop in and say hi. I look forward to seeing you soon. Children of God, holy and beloved, may we go from this time encouraged and emboldened, trusting God to be at work in and through us in the days ahead. And may the grace of Christ, our Redeemer, the love of God, our Creator, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen.